Hi, and welcome to Song Divers, an interview podcast about singer-songwriters. We like to go deep in conversation with our favorite musicians in search of honest answers. What are the ingredients of a great song? What makes a songwriter tick? Can a musician make a living these days? Is Jason Isbell overrated? What? My name is Stefan. And this is Ed. Our guests this episode are quickly rising stars on the festival scene, but whose songwriting ambitions aim higher than your average jam band. Before we get to the interview, we want to put a few fun shows on your radar. Upcoming guests Vintage Trouble and Kelsey Waldum are all on tour right now. If you're in our home market, Vintage Trouble plays the Capitol Theater in downtown Clearwater November 12th. We'll be recording an unplugged set with them backstage that we're really excited about. These guys are awesome. It's so much fun. Kelsey Walden is at Ruth Eckerd Hall with the great John Prine on December 7th. Her new chart-topping record is really excellent, and we're looking forward to that show. Make sure you book tickets for that show or the one in your city, ASAP. They're going quick. And now, back to this interview business. I'm Kyle Travers. Hey, I'm Ian McIsaac, and together we are part of Travers Brothership. privilege of being in a long and loving relationship with a twin for many years. She and her sister were polar opposites, but each really special in their specific ways. Over time, I got to see their beautiful and unique bond develop in the very singular way that only other twins can likely fully understand. That same sibling bond and evolution is audible among the Travers Brothership, a band formed around twin brothers Kyle and Eric Travers, and built by the bond among their bandmates. Kyle and bandmate Ian joined us for the interview. Kyle Travers is the lead guitarist. He's tall, lean, and laid back. Ian, the man on the keys, is shorter, bearded, and equally as friendly. While Eric and Kyle share a bloodline, the whole band plays like a family. A long history of learning and honing their craft together has led them to their second full-length release, and through experiences sharing bills and stages with the likes of Taj Mahal, Government Mule, Blues Traveler, and many more. These guys can write, they can play, and they stopped in to see us before hitting the Swanee Halloween stage. We hope you appreciate hanging with the Travers Brothership as much as we did. Well, fellas, thanks for being here. We always start everybody. Kyle, we're going to start with you uh, due to the namesake of the band. Sure. Um, tell us where you're from. I was born in Richmond, Virginia, but I grew up in the mountains of uh, North Carolina, Asheville, Black Mountain, Ridgecrest, Swannanoa, Old Fort, Lived, moved around a lot. But I uh, remained in the mountains my entire youth for the most part. Okay. Ian, what about you, man? I was born in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. But when I was about five years old, I, we relocated, my family and I, to Black Mountain, Asheville area. Okay. So what age did you guys like actually meet? I remember seeing Ian in a Y day camp when I was about eight or nine years old. That would make him seven. Mm-hmm. We weren't friends. It doesn't really count until <laughs> 11 or 12. Are yeah. you friends now? Yeah, you know, we're trying to maintain a friendship. 
So, Kyle, did you, you uh, grow up with a big family? Not really. A very small family. Um, just my dad and my brother, my twin brother, Eric Travers. Who is in the band with you? Yep. Uh-huh. He is the drummer, vocalist, also plays some guitar and some harmonica. We both play a lot of instruments. Our father was a musician and got us involved when we were very young. He was a blues cat and had, uh, toured the East Coast through the whole blues revival. Very cool. So got us into it, you know, playing. Uh, I remember being about, let's see, four or five years old, playing a crappy fake guitar and him beating on pots and pans and stuff. And he got his first drum set when he was around that age as well. So uh, I'm assuming guitar was your first instrument since you were primary. You're primarily a guitar player for the band. yeah, yeah, sure am. Unless we're making records, then I I definitely play a lot more keys. But live, that's definitely ninety percent of my role. Okay. Um, and you said your brother started on drums. Is that his primary instrument too? Yeah, he chose the drums, and uh, yeah, we started jamming together like White Stripe style. You know, just banging out rock and roll in the. My dad was always really cool about getting a house with an extra room. So we'd get a three-bedroom house, and Eric and I would, of course, have bunk beds and share the room. That is but we would have the, we'd have the jam room, and he called it the jam room, front, and we'd just go jam in the jam room. Which is, it was a good outlet for, to have as a young child, too, because you know, having a single parent and the things that transpire to make that happen. Okay, so it was just your dad? Yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah, it was. He's a single parent with two twins. Yeah. Which is like, man, I've I feel for him. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> were you guys good good kids? Uh, or kind of like- I mean, yeah, we were good kids. You know, we 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 had high marks and um also you know, we're he, he raised us to be gentlemen and good kids, but we also were extremely competitive and uh we fought a lot. But we also had great times together. It's like it's kinda like a a long-term relationship, but with your brother that has never ended from the womb. And you know what about you, man? Um, grew up with a musical family? No, not really. Uh, my parents appreciate music, but uh, don't necessarily play it. My dad knows like a handful of chords on the guitar. We had one around the house, and they have friends. They always had friends that were musicians, and you know, like so I got to like play on the drum set when the the band came and played their wedding or something you know that they were their buddies but my actual introduction to music was not until later on in my life like maybe like middle school band i played the trumpet and this is around the time that i meet kyle and the uh, aforementioned jam room Uh was where my friends took me to introduce me to these guys yeah because uh safe haven yeah safe haven a good place to jam a place with a drum set, which is everything when you're 12 or 13 years old. Yeah, I, I always wanted to be the drummer. Out, man. Yeah, get the. That's I what we were doing. We yeah, were, we were playing Led Zeppelin. That was, <laughs> we were getting the lead out for sure. Big time. Were there keyboards around or no? no not until or? later on. Yeah. I uh, took turns with Eric in the jam room sometimes on drums. He, yeah, 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 yeah. He was mm-hmm. mostly teaching me at that point. Right. And then uh, later on, I got a drum kit of my own that we set up at um, a garage in between my house and our bass player Josh's house. Mm-hmm. We were neighbors, and 
the second jam room was born there. And Josh is still in the band, right? Yeah, Josh plays bass to this day. Jam Room 2 was born. The Jam Room 2 well, was born Josh over in the garage. Well, Josh also wanted to be a drummer. So we were in right. a situation with me, the guitar player, and three dudes that were like, we all yeah, wanted to be the drummer. The drums. Nobody wanted to be the bass player. Nobody so wanted to be the keyboard like have player. A discussion no one ever at, wants to be the bass player. Yeah. Was uh, there some kind of like contest or something? Yeah, we flipped a coin. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. No, uh, no I, contest I think, necessary. Yeah, Josh just <laughs> Josh just came through and was like, "All right, I'll do it." You know, it seems like the, and he really embraced it. My father, I remember, uh, I remember vividly watching my father teach him how to walk blues when he was about twelve, thirteen, and how to, you know, play like his first funk patterns and use his fingers instead of a pick. My dad is a very anti pick on the bass kind of guy. As he's like, no, 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 no. It's too easy. You no, learn how to walk. <laughs> There's a reason they call it walking. And for you at for you people at home, just uh picture, oh, yeah. picture two fingers walking the down index, the desk right. or the dashboard in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. that's kinda where that Yeah, he he's he's always been really cool like that. That's a relationship he has. Yeah, know? similarly he taught me how to run like the first scales on the piano that I ever learned. He was like, This is the blues scale my in dad, C yeah. and this is how I can play it really fast by doing my like rolling my fingers across it like this and glancing off these black notes and this is how you can do it really fast and once you learn it in one, you can learn it in all twelve. Yeah, we is... learned piano at the same time too. I've never thought about that till now. That just kind of clicked during this interview. But right, your dad was showing both of us. <laughs> he would show me something or show Ian something, and one of us would be over the shoulder, you know, mm-hmm. by taking the lesson as well. So, so Papa Travers really the big mm-hmm. uh, guiding guiding north star. Here. Hats off to Papa Travers. Oh, sure. He so, came... so was he a full time musician? He actually was a uh, a carpenter as well, because being a single father, he couldn't tour. I was going to say, yeah. So he really sacrificed a lot there. And, uh, you know, kind of put his career on hold. But he still played every weekend or he'd get us a, a babysitter and, you know, go out for maybe three or four nights or something. But that was the most. And we, it was kind of cool because we got to we got to watch him play a lot, too. I ended up, I remember learning the term bar hopping when I was maybe 13, 14 years old. No, so you're a 13-year-old bar hopper? I was a 13-year-old bar hopper in a good way. I was yeah. playing music at all the bars, and he would, you know, I wouldn't say show me off, but he would, like, take me out and kind of push me to play mm-hmm. with other people on the fly, which is, of course, very uncomfortable. At first, but, but super like, critical. Oh, it can be so gratifying, though. And I remember being 14 years old and kind of just cast into the coals of the fire and finding out if... I'm gonna be able to make it or not in that sense, and it you know once you if you get up there and rip it up, it feels really good. You know? Well, that's interesting because you know we've talked to most guests about jumping from you know teaching yourself or learning yourself and then taking it public. Mm-hmm. Something about that—that's the part of the process where it's like you know huge forged in the fire of you know. Yeah, man, I'll tell a story. So. I actually my my sixth grade talent show. It was my first time playing in front of people. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to my dad, my brother. There's a talent show, and I play the guitar. Might as well, should I do it? And they were like, "Do it." I I did it. it I didn't think through that I was also going to do it in front of all of my peers that were going <laughs> to judge me <laughs> come next Monday. I was, but once I got out there, I remember, and it was still, you know, I'm only 26, but. This was um, elementary school in Old Fort, North Carolina, which is kind of um, nowhere land. And they still had, a, 
you know, the same auditorium they had in probably 1945, the same kind of design with that big spotlight uh-huh. in the back. It was just like, bam, right on my face. And I remember just getting out there and I couldn't see and it was hot, the heat from the lights. And I like made my way through a version of Key to the Highway, a blues song, and trying to sing it too. And... um yeah, it didn't go all the... You know, I made my way through it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I remember going out... I remember my knees were shaking, and I went outside on a picnic table, and I remember thinking to myself, like, I will never subject myself to something like that <laughs> <laughs> ever again. And here you are. There's no way in hell I will ever do... Oh, and by next talent show, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get a band together. I'm going to... And we won it. Congratulations. No, was, thank you, man. It was, it's on VHS. My dad has it back at the house. Oh, man. We played ZZ Top LaGrange. We're going to need you to record some of that on your phone. I play, so I play a four-note solo. His dad, he needs to digitize that and get it on YouTube. Oh, dude. That'll be the day. <laughs> Ian, what was your first foray into the spotlight? I think I played a couple times. Uh, they got like our band open for... Their dad's band at like a bar cool. down in the old fort or Marion, something like that. Ivan's. Ivan's uh, Sports Bar. Sports something. Bar slash Bowling Alley. Yeah. That's what I. It's like the only but bar. Noisy for a band. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you got pins dropping. Yeah, pins. We played the Brooklyn Bowl in New York. That's, and that's over there, the it's not much of a problem. It, there's that's pins dropping, <laughs> but you can't, you can't hear them really. It's I feel like you guys can play over some pin dropping. Oh, yeah. We have yeah. enough volume. Uh-huh. Well, we went. On, we played another talent show when I was in the seventh grade, which meant that he was in eighth grade. So the year after he was referring, to, or two years after he was referring to as his first spotlight moment was mine, and that was we had put together a whole different, a bigger band that had included the the four of us. But that was the first time we played like an original instrumental tune, oh, like zombified. it was kind of like a proggy thing that we had. <laughs> It was kind of complicated doom, in its doom, own doom, way. Doom, ba, doom, ba, doom, 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 doom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it starts. Oh, <laughs> it all just came back to me there. Yeah, I remember that. Did we win? What, what? I, we placed. I don't know if we won. <laughs> I feel like the guys that, uh, they had like a dancer team that won. <laughs> <laughs> we took home the silver, the bronze. <laughs> the, this talent show you're talking about was... <laughs> Was the four of you, right? Was it Josh and yeah. Eric, too? So it's you right. guys have been it's together short, right? since you were like, mm-hmm. when did it become like the Travers Brothers show? All right, we had the Travers Brothers band, and that was the, that was that playing was, the talent a, show. That record is actually like on iTunes. I should, all right, cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess you could listen to it, but it, yeah, it's there's, there's some pretty good stuff on there for Everybody's us being like 15. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not actually all that bad. But yeah, that was the... No, that was the that was the first whack at it. And yeah, and I'd say we got together and really started doing it for Travers Brothers Band when we were thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, but we weren't playing like we weren't able to play many bars until we were like probably fifteen. We played the I was Moose probably Lodge. like fifteen or sixteen. Played the Moose Lodge. We played the, those bars and stuff. Really? We, so you couldn't you couldn't play because you guys were underage. Yeah, no way. You can't. We oh, went on to go play underage, but like, yeah. uh, I mean, like when we were like thirteen, we were like looking too young right. to yeah. even right. be there. Stop that two-year right. difference, we had like a few little hairs growing uh-huh. on the mustache that makes all the difference. Yeah. Really. Can we play your dive bar where people are smashing bottles over each other's heads and we're like twelve? <laughs> yeah. You know, they're like, no, you can't come here at all. 
Yeah. Ever. Before we get into more of the formation of the band, I'm curious. So, you know, you mentioned some blues from your dad. Sure. What was being played around the house? Like, what were you guys hearing? Was music really influential? You mentioned getting the letter Man, out. Man, like, what were you always, guys listening to? He was always playing something. When I first got into music, the swing revival was happening. If you guys remember that. So, are you talking about Stray Cats? That Brian kind of Setzer. Oh, yeah. Brian Setzer, you know, the Stray Cats were done and he came back with that Brian Setzer orchestra. Right. Yeah. They were playing a baby, baby, it looks like it's going to well. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was playing all that stuff and he had a big band with horns together. Right. Yeah. And it was really good. They were called the Mag Daddies. So, we were listening to a lot of swing, I remember as a kid. But, and, you know, he was just. All over the place. He showed us everything, man. You know, it'd be Hendrix one day, and then Albert Collins the next, playing, you know, dirty Chicago blues-style stuff, you know, or Beatles. He showed us the Stones. And then you you, you learn on, I would go stay with other friends and hear more music he wouldn't show us. Like, my dad isn't a, he can dig it, but he's not like a massive Led Zeppelin fan. Okay. Or like a Pink Floyd guy. You know, he's more like Almond Brother. If it's not like blues based, it's not mm-hmm. exactly as bad. Actually, and my parents are hippies, and yeah, one of the first uh, musical memories I have is they got me this little CD player combo boombox thing for my bedroom for going, like, putting me to sleep at night, and mm-hmm. they would put on Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> and it's like, it's soothing at points, but it's kind of terrifying sometimes. I was too. Say. Yeah, it's like, I don't know if it was the wisest choice, but. <laughs> it was funny that he mentioned Pink Floyd because that was definitely over at my house. We were listening to Pink Floyd. And, yeah, you used um, to go to sleep listening to that, didn't you, Ian? Yeah, every single <laughs> night we listened to Pink we Floyd. We know that everything like, about each other. It was other. like, okay, good night. They turn off the light and hit play, and they would. Those ones had where they would play the CD over and over again. It would just loop, sure, repeat mode. Yeah, repeat mode or whatever. Right. Like and it you was said, just, though, you've got breathe, which is very gentle, yeah. but then it goes into run. But then run, later there's run, ah! run, 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 <laughs> and, and arms going off, and all kinds of scary stuff. Yeah, yeah. man, I thought that was crazy. <laughs> Another man. one that they uh, gave me when I was a real young kid was um, it's a fish album. It's got Esther and the story of how she like floated away on the balloons and stuff. Oh yeah, there's a lot of really creepy songs on that one too, and I'm just like. You know, like learning all the lyrics as a young kid, just laying there. I'm supposed to be going to sleep, I guess, but I'm listening to it's, uh, not too into fish to this day. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely had an effect on me. They're an acquired taste. Now, my parents are big time deadheads, so we would always have Grateful Dead around the house. I, I do enjoy the Grateful Dead. They're not like, uh, you know, my one and only like lords and saviors of music, but I really much, <laughs> I definitely appreciate. All the uh, different phases they went to and this through and the scenes that they created. Yeah, me too, man. I'll, the whole vibe and jamming stuff. I love. If that. I can, like, it's weird. I can segue from that. So, my brother and I ran into some hard times and ended up moving in with his family when we were, I guess, like fifteen, sixteen. And that's where I got introduced to the Grateful Dead. I went really deep into it, possibly even deeper than the. Child of the Deadheads, <laughs> the Blood Child, <laughs> blood child. <laughs> the Blood Child of the Deadheads. But yeah, man, I dug deep. I remember, uh, you know, the Internet Archive was going down when I was in high school, and every single Dead show was on it. Uh-huh. I remember being, and I was real into computer classes, and the teacher was real cool, and would give me blank CDs and let me burn Dead shows on the CD and take them home and listen to them. Which as like a band leader, 
you know, which I hate to call myself that self-proclaimed. We all, we all lead the band in, to an extent, but the guy that kind of, you know, I manage the band right now, and he had like similar pressures. I felt like to me, so I was always able to identify with him, and you know, just the pressure of. You talking about Jerry Garcia? Yeah, yeah, of course, old Jerry. But to, the pressures of also, it's like guitar solo time, and that might last six minutes. If you're not playing anything that's going to inspire the musicians around you or the audience, the band is flunking. <laughs> For sure. I, well, not only that. I mean, it, routinely when you're having guest musicians with you as well generally they're guitar players you know or vocalists right so, or a horn yeah. player or a soloist it's a soloist yeah, right a you soloist know, so you have not just the pressure of your band leading but you're also trying to inspire the guys around you and plays well and you have a monster set of players around you yeah you know um and wanting to be worthy of that there's also just probably guitar players are probably the most notable of instrumentalists just among the public and the things that you notice right other than certainly lead singers well and- yeah modern modern music man uh, Guitar solos make up a, you know, even I have if it's a theory a- on this. I think it's a lot of it has to do with because the guitar is so visually entertaining. What you can really see everything that a guitar player plays all the huh. time. I've seen a and when they bend the string, their head yeah, jerks and around, the and when they play around, fast, you know, they make a funny face. The trombone is also team. like that. You can really see yeah. how much work a trombone player is putting in when he's playing it. That's interesting. Yeah, but that's like a- you know, drummers are hidden behind a thing. Keyboard players are often hidden behind a thing. And sitting pretty the, motionless. Just the mobility of it, too. Right, I'm right. thinking of Chuck Berry going across yeah, the stage. Yeah, he's prancing around. You can't do that. You can't go doing that. I don't own yeah. a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> but it's an interesting point you make about having, you know, just the pressures of being a lead player. A lot of people are probably, who are in bands, and I was joking about no one wants to be the bass player earlier, but that's like the people that are generally in the attention of the lead singer and the, the guitar players, right. you know, up to a certain point, certainly. But then, you know, I, some of the stuff we're watching, I think you guys had Marcus King with you at some point uh, for a couple of sessions you guys did. And Marcus is a monster player. Yeah. And man. you more than held your own there. Oh, thank but, you. But, thank you very much. But the thought of, oh man, like when you start to have people guest, guest mm. appear with you on stage and, you know, you're talking about you're 26 years old, hoping you can hold your own. Like that is a lot of pressure. I, I think people probably lose sight. It's of massive, man. We just did a uh, Floyd fest. It's a massive festival in um, Floyd, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I was invited to be a part of the all-star jam kind of thing. Nice. It's called, it's called the Buffalo mountain jam. Congratulations again. Yeah, Thanks cool, man. Huh? Talent show. And now this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, the strange thing for me. Talent show. Yeah, <laughs> glorified talent show. Yeah, it's like a lot of, you know, like great bluegrass pickers and stuff, like Big Daddy, and that's a whole another <laughs> echelon. And John Stickley. Oh man, oh, you know these I mean, guys can do things that I can't do on a guitar. You know, and I don't know if they can do what I can do, but I certainly can't do what they can do. So it was it was this interesting, but luckily the set list kind of catered to some lead guitar, mm-hmm. and I was able to you know get in where I fit in, which is always really fun for me. But going back to the pressure of it, I remember being completely cool and was like, eh, no big deal. And you know, in the jam world, there's a amount of trust there, and that I was in touch. Keller Williams was hosting it. Keller's great, yeah. And um, I was in touch with him. And Keller, if you hear this, I'm not busting your balls. <laughs> and I'm like, what are we gonna play, man? I'm the young kid. Like, I want to hear it and rehearse it. And he's like, man, I heard you playing. You're gonna be fine. Like, we'll figure it out. You know, I'll send you something. And then, like, you know, a month before the festival, hey, man, you know what you want to have me up on yet? 
nah, you, you know, we'll figure it out. Then we play, we're playing five sets at Floyd Fest. We play our second set, which is acoustic. And here comes this guy like with a raincoat on. And I'm talking to a fan after the set. And I get tapped on the sh- shoulder like kind of uh, intensely. And I turn around like, Who, who's doing that? And it's Keller Williams. <laughs> and he's like, hey, man, you sound great. So uh, just uh, I'll give you the set list. Play on whatever you want, okay? And I was like, all right. And he said, all right, bye. And he just walked away. Uh-huh. So that's how we met. <laughs> well he kept his word he let you know in advance he did let me know in advance so yeah and literally right before the gig he just hands me the set list like you know just play on what you feel comfortable and but it was still a great time you know and fit trying to hang with the bluegrass guys just the uh stamina and uh dexterity they They're have it's just it's crazy man like billy strings and people like that oh hell yeah me and marcus you know i I won't speak for him, but we're not exactly flat pickers. I'm, you know, I, I certainly am not. So it's, it's, it's too different. We can all do our things differently. It's part of the magic of it. But get, getting to hang with those guys is always, you know, really humbling. Well, and you, you pick stuff up, you know. Even mm-hmm. if it's not a playing style, like you pick up little progressions, little approaches to things, the way they approach a solo. Like it's so important, oh, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. I've learned from every single – that's one thing I've been very fortunate with in our careers that I get to play with so many people. You know, you on keys, um, and I should say too, like generally in a band, the keyboard player is generally probably one of the most gifted musicians that are in a band generally. So I, I wonder, are you looking around at other bands playing and just going, "Oh man, those guys are out of control." Dude, <laughs> yes. that's to say we've seen we've seen your videos. Like you're a great. Oh player. man, oh, we had good. to. Uh, we we directly opened for Lettuce. At this, I'm wearing the shirt actually, oh, the wow. Big Poor Festival, and um, so yeah, I went right before Nigel Hall. He's <laughs> <laughs> on before Nigel. <laughs> Nigel. Like, that's kind of yeah, that's kind of not fair. Like no one asked me to come in and jam with Nigel either. <laughs> <laughs> later, you know, <laughs> at least you didn't have to follow him, right? Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. didn't have to follow him. Merely warming up for him. So, Ian, how, how did you end up on the keys then? It sounded like you were playing a bunch of instruments. Was it just everybody sort of had theirs picked and you're like, all right, I'm doing this? Or Yeah, I, it, it was like, I think it had to do with the instruments that I got a hold of. My parents got me like some conga drums. I still have those, still mm-hmm. play those as part of our set. I but, saw a um, picture of you playing them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I still play the congas now and again. Um, as part of the set, usually we do it like uh, we'll switch out. Kyle will come play the keys, and at which point I go to the percussion, and it sort of changes the dynamic of things. Uh-huh. But uh, so I played the congas before I wound up playing the keyboard, and there was another thing. I think um, my dad just got me a keyboard because he wanted to hear that sound as part of the band. Like, he was oh, in there in the other room with your mom going, if I hear one more conga roll. Oh, yeah. I had a trap kit, too, up in the bedroom as well. Yeah, I was playing drums upstairs. Yeah. Wise move of him to get the keyboard. <laughs> so have either of you guys had any, and not to imply that your dad is not a classical music teacher, but have you guys had any formal training or lessons at any point? None. Anybody nothing, else in the band? Nothing formal. Our bassist, Josh, um, was in, like, the drum line. And also like drum corps international, okay, and you know made it through high school band and stuff. But um, this is so ironic, man. I hate the the music education system in this country. It's so wrong and screwed up, in my opinion. Interesting. And Josh, who I think is one of the most talented people I've ever seen in my entire life, on on any instrument that he touches, did not make it into music school. 
And it, it, he wasn't even trying to get into Berkeley. It was at Appalachian State University. And, you know, they require, you know, they want you to be a, a little like music computer or whatever to where you read and play. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, and he's good at that. And he can sight read and everything. But I guess he wasn't, you know, the, he, he learned to use his ear to mm-hmm. play music right. and be in tune and stuff. I feel like they don't want to find an individual that's open-minded and wants to find a way to express themselves independently. They want to find someone who's kind of saying, tell me what is right and wrong. And if you have already formed those opinions, they don't want you in music school because then you're going to be stubborn and you're going to say, you know, that doesn't sound good to me. Or you're going to start forming opinions, but there's laws in music, right? Supposedly there's this written, this is right. This is wrong. This is classical. This is what this, these are the founding building blocks of music or whatever they're teaching these people. Mm-hmm. But you know, and I don't know, that's something that amazes me. Josh didn't Just, get accepted in the music. He program. did not get, he, oh, and he has a flourishing <laughs> music career. Unlike, <laughs> unlike most people who went to music school, usually they try and audition for a symphony in Philadelphia or Baltimore, and then they don't get a job, and then they start to sell work in a machine shop or yeah. change oil or, yeah, sell insurance. You know, and the guy that didn't get admitted to music school because he couldn't pass the auditions has, like, one of the more or most flourishing music careers to come out of his entire class of the college. Um, so I'm interested... When did you guys start to write and who was writing? Like, what were those original songs like? Who was kind of bringing them to the table? How did that start to form? My brother and I had the first couple. And you probably had a little bit of an unfair advantage because you've got a built-in rhythm section, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And we also started, my brother and I, we spent some time away from our parents and got super into the Beatles. It was like something we um, could like bond on and listen to and... Is one of the I think it's one of the reasons we really became musicians is we found solace in it mm-hmm. and listening to you know how the lyrics could relate to this to your mood or or the song you know and we had these CD players we would um, listen to every night while we slept and we would trade records we had our principal at the time we got separated gave us all the uh, all the entire uh, discography of the Beatles so he was like really into help or something uh-huh. and I was super in Abbey Road oh yeah and we would tell each other how good it was you know <laughs> like no this was bad. and then eventually we'd trade and, and I remember we got really into songwriting because we realized the genius of what they were doing wasn't you know what we had grew up listening to with my dad the performance of the music tech as as much as the you know the writing composition yeah and the composition yeah so we started we started writing together when I think when I was about 12 13 years old 11 12 me and my brother do you remember your first song? Um, I remember his first song. <laughs> what was it called? That one I remember too. <laughs> yeah. What was it called? You can cuss uh, on here, by the way. Yeah, I know. It's a f-ing podcast. No, it's, um, <laughs> it's Babe Alert, dude. That's what you think. Babe, Babe Alert! Alert. <laughs> Babe Alert! Oh, it's man. Like 12 o'clock. No. 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock. Babe alert! <laughs> like someone's it's right It's a terrible you misogynistic thing in which there's a babe around you and you say, <laughs> oh, babe alert, 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock. Everyone turns location. around and goes, yeah, that's right. You just, a babe location device. I yes. think it's really funny that you just talked about how you 
you found solace in the song and <laughs> meaning in the in the lyrics. And the- <laughs> yeah, and the, and the, the product is Babeler. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something really special about that. Hey, man, we were 12. We, yeah, absolutely. We couldn't quite do Strawberry Fields yet. We were more into like, I want to hold your hand, know, you I babe. Yeah. Ian, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> I know, you're just, cra- but... you're just messing with me. Oh, and Eric's <laughs> not here to tell us what your <laughs> yeah. first song was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, so, uh, so, and to clarify before I ask of Ian, so you guys are all writing and contributing to the band currently, right? Yeah. So what's that what's that process like? And I ask that because so Ian, you're you're you have written stuff uh, that is being done in the well, band, you, right? you pretty much write a song and you see how hard you can hit the other guy in his face. Yeah, <laughs> 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 I'm familiar with that method. That determines whether your yeah, song is the one song that way. If, if he if he doesn't, you know, fall to the ground unconscious, you might have something good. I don't know. It's it's kinda like a it's a process in which we all start the songs individually. And then we get together and it's very democratic and mm-hmm. everyone's always allowed to express an idea. But I, I don't know if that helps the longevity of the group, but it certainly helps the product of the music we're making currently. Personally, I think that is really important to have a, you know, a varying group of opinions, yeah. uh, especially musically. Oh, man, that's what we feature. That is, I think that's part of our, we're so against the grain. Uh, and I, it's actually a complete shock and surprise to me that we've, achieved what we have and that we don't listen to anyone <laughs> we're very stubborn you know in this industry like advice from right yeah, as yeah. to what direction you should go in and mm-hmm. you know hey guys you're you're not marketable we don't know if you're a, a soul band or a jam band or, well, i was gonna ask you how how would you label you yourself i can't and you know i'm eventually gonna start saying that to journalists <laughs> i think the closest thing i've heard that you guys remind me of might be like government mule or, or today, right. and they, and Government Mule will release a reggae record, right? And a blues record, yes. And a jamming and rock record, right? You Even know? get super exactly. heavy metal sometimes, yeah. Right. So before, before you <laughs> say that, I, who like who do you guys maybe like? We know some of your contemporaries certainly, and we can read the bio and stuff. But sure. When you think about like, here's the groups we before you say the groups like you want to be thought of with, like who do you kind of pair yourselves up with? Genre-wise, because Ed mentioned uh, government mule, Tedeschi Trucks. <laughs> Tedeschi Trucks is a good one to mention because we sort of modeled Travers Brothership off of Tedeschi Trucks. Mm-hmm. He was talking earlier about how we had Travers Brothership. Well, we Brothers actually band. both started in 2012, and we coincidentally kind of had the same thing going on. And there's the SG, too. So We That's had, right. like, <laughs> Travers Brothers Band SG, was a little bit more, SG like, straightforward rock and blues and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when we wanted to add, like, we added horns, and we wanted to make more, like, the big band, like, soul review right. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's when we were influenced by Tedeschi Trucks. And they may have started in the same year, but we definitely were aware of them. We were like, when we... During the formation of our idea for Travers Brothers. Yeah. I, I hear a little more soul... In what you guys are doing than you would hear in Government Mule or Tedeschi Trucks. There's a little bit more funk and soul. Funk for sure. I mean, for anybody listening, when you go listen to these guys' record, if you haven't already, there's so many different places of influence. You'll hear Tedeschi Trucks for sure if you're familiar with them and and you listen to them. But you'll also hear like, I hear Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Um, I hear The Revivalists, which is, you know, more current. But also there's a lot of that. I mean, Josh's voice sounds like... uh, who were we saying earlier? Uh, Greg, Greg Allman. I mean, well, yeah. you guys were doing a cover of Black Mountain Woman. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Black Hearted so, I mean, Woman. Black Hearted Woman. Sorry. So yeah. yeah so I mean, there, you know, there, there's a lot of different stuff going on. It, what do you guys listen to currently? Uh, it's all over the board right now. We're listening to Frank Zappa and Primus a bunch because you're learning it. 
Because we're, we're learning it. <laughs> yeah. It is quite the endeavor. In we're, the van, we're listening to, uh, we like, we listen to tons of Donny Hathaway. The, you're talking about the soul stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder and Donny Hathaway are um, people that Josh has really brought into the van. That he plays a lot. Any Curtis Mayfield? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We All listen to Curtis Mayfield Curtis. for I love sure. Because I hear a little bit of that. Yeah, uh, huge influence. Um, what's me. the leadoff track on your, not the latest album, but the one? Hold My Name. Hold that My one, Name. That one's written by Josh. Okay. And that was the, um, that when he think- came back into the band after he, you know, had got most of his college locked down. Mm-hmm. We, uh, for me, that was the, that was a moment. That rehearsal only took about 45 minutes and we had that tune and it was, it's amazing when that happens. Oh man. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's back on. We got the right guys together again. And sometimes it works like that, which I'm a believer of that. Me and Josh have, we both, you know, and my brother and all, all of us, we have like our, our budding heads, you know, and our different styles of it. But if I were to produce records, which I do, I guess. I what the the songs that happen like that are the song that that is what defines you as a band, in my opinion. And that it's just you're not f- forcing yourself to do something. You're not, you know, if you picture you uh, like a like a dreadlock hippie dude putting on a suit and trying to go sell cars at the used car lot. It's like just it's not. Sometimes certain original songs can feel like that, and certain original songs can feel like, wow, this was the easiest thing. It can even be a complicated song. It's just, this is just perfect. It fits like a glove. This is Travers Brothership. This is meant to be in a way, and, you know, but that's just how I look at it. And that is to say that in that scenario, the dreadlock hippie guy is doing another profession that fits him better. And I'm sure there, <laughs> I'm there, sure there may be great dreadlocked car sales. There may be, but usually they're no, I selling. You. I hear you for sure. <laughs> it's just meant to be. Yeah, those songs will just fall right into place for sure.
curious about when did you guys start to like want to have an artistic voice? And I asked that question as you guys are growing up, you're playing music, you, you know, Pop Travers is showing everybody tunes and showing everybody instruments. But did you guys have ambitions to do anything else? Or did you know from a certain age, like, we're going to be musicians? Like, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, me and my brother made that decision early on. Once we started writing songs, it's like, let's let's go for it. And I think... Um, and what break that down. What did go for it mean to you guys? Go for it meant uh, make a career out of making music and have the, the courage to do it. We both had uh, very good grades. I didn't want to go for it in a way because our father, being a professional musician, told us, no, 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 no. You know, there's so many people that end up alcoholics or drug addicts or completely miserable, and it's just a complete waste of time for them. And um, he advised us not to, and of course our guidance counselors did as well because our grades were good, and I had some scholarships and things. I turned all those down, and... uh Tried school, but it wasn't for me. He tried school as well, and that's that's kind of where Travis Brothership started. Ian had not tried; he he was taking like a gap year. I had chose to take a gap year. Who I go? Ian is My an intellectual. And always uh, explain what is the gap year. A gap year between high school and college. You did, know? You, did you go oh, backpacking? It's, it's stretched in, uh, now into a what <laughs> six gap or decade. seven years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you tried. Originally, I wanted to take a gap year and Uh then uh, just have fun and enjoy my time off now that I wasn't required to go to school every day. Right. And during that time, we were playing gigs and Uh stuff as a pastime, as a hobby, but also kind of as a job. And and the gap year just. just Then it gets real. So so you're still in the gap year? You're still in the gap, still in that gap year. You're still in the gap year. I could go year. to college at any time. <laughs> so there's a lot of people that listen to the show when we hear from listeners and stuff. So there's a bunch of podcasts out there, right? Mm-hmm. There's, ours is focused on the level of songwriter where like you guys are doing it, but you're still you're still growing, you know? Totally. And you're not so far out of being at that stage. Like you guys, I'm sure, and hopefully you can. Like what was the transition from, all right, we're, we want to try this and we're going to do it and we're playing – bars now that we can get in because we have facial hair <laughs> to like shit we're on the road like how did that what was that function talk about that because a lot of our listeners are budding songwriters or they're, they're musicians performing right. in their hometown but they haven't made it further out Man, yet and yeah trying to figure it out. yeah it's it's a crazy climb uh for travers brothership all we wanted was a gig like i'm sure most of the budding songwriters you're talking about <clears throat> feel right so there's a period of time where all four of us or five or six or seven of us however many there were at any given time, we're always trying to book any gigs that we could we just and play. bring them back to the rest of the guys. Be like, hey, I found this thing. I emailed these people. We were always sending out stuff like that. Yeah, and for us, it kind of turned into a, um, you know, a job. And that we 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 got a weekly gig in Greensboro. We drive two and a half hours to play this bar that probably holds forty people every every Thursday for yeah. two and a half hour drive. That'd be two and a half hour drive. Day. And I think you know we made like. You know, because they weren't a live music establishment, and there wasn't a cover, so we made like two hundred bucks, and then eventually we got a, a two hundred fifty dollar raise. You know, so we weren't we were making our gas money mm-hmm. and enough money to like drink a beer after the show. Yeah, and cutting for, your teeth, and cutting our teeth, and yeah, and then it, for us after that, the transition you're asking about kind of happened when. You know, once we started doing that and getting tighter and we played a few gigs, we started getting emails, you know, from people saying, oh, you know, I want to... Because there's a lot of venues that only want to spend that amount of money. 
and you can get some very subpar stuff for that amount of money. But when you find a band that's coming up, and it's like, oh, they're still paying for two hundred bucks, and there's six of them. Like, let's let's get them down here at the brewery, and we started playing breweries and stuff. And then eventually, we had a, a booking agent call us um, and say, "You guys really want to get busy and work three or four nights a week? I can make that happen." And that's when we learned that we have to buckle down and do that and grind, 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 grind. And that, that is the thing about budding songwriters and musicians is that I think they don't really realize that you actually have to sacrifice basically everything else in your life. Some people can maintain a relationship still and things. But for most people, you know, if you're going to be gone for 200 days, 250, it's really hard to maintain a relationship or keep another job. Or do you know this is and and we all realize that we had a set down we call it a band meeting yeah it's like all right guys are we gonna go for it if you if you want out now now's the time because other than that you're you know you're stuck and you're gonna let us down if you stop uh-huh. and then uh yeah we started going and then eventually we got another call from our current agency uh, Madison House and they said you know I've been watching from behind the behind the curtain. Watching you guys grow, we feel like we can take you to the next level. And you negotiate that contract, try and get what you want, and uh, and you sign it, and then you go from there. And then those, you know, those people can put us on the road if we could survive it, three hundred fifty days a year. So that's an interesting piece right there. So how long was that transition? How many years was that over? I think we spent like two years self managed, yeah, self booked, yeah, and exclusively, maybe two years booked by Alan Roper. And self-managed. And then this is still our first year has just come to a close of being with Madison House. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're only like five years serious, serious. Well, really only, we've been together for seven. But but that's a good run. And well, you mentioned the grind too, and I think that's a really important thing to talk about. And, and singularly for the type of music you guys are doing, your records are super listenable. There's a lot of pop. There's a lot of stuff. We talked about Jam Man. We talked about Tedeschi Trucks. We talked about a bunch of stuff that is... Generally known as like that's the music you go to see at a festival, right? You know? But um, even the John Mayers of the world that are popping as pop can possibly pop, right? <laughs> pop, 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 pop. Yeah, corn. right. And like he's having to tour constantly. Yes, he's on the road with with Dead and Company, but he's having to tour constantly too because music's changed so much, right? Yeah. So you know you're talking about that grind and how important that that is, especially for jam bands. I mean, I don't know if you guys want to talk about that a little bit, but just like it's such a part of the culture. First of all. You know, jam bands and if, if we're going to throw you guys in that bucket, because if you sure. look at the people you guys are performing with, a lot of times they fall into the festivals that a lot of jam bands are. Um, you guys are, you know, you're part of a big festival culture, you know, and mm-hmm. somebody like more pop is like you go see a concert and then you go home, you know. Yeah. Whereas you guys, it's an experience. You're going to you talk about a, a you know, or you, guys you are just listen, or you listen to five old. times, you know. So you talk about a five year run, like five years actually, it's not that long. And for the success that you guys have had, because yeah, you guys no. are, you're having a lot of success. You're playing yeah. some really great gigs. You're you're among a bunch of really, really incredibly talented And we're musicians. making a f***ing living, man. Absolutely. That, 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 that's not to be understated. Absolutely. Damn, that, that's the, that was the biggest one for me. It's like, what the hell? We're paying our bills now? Yeah, this is, <laughs> uh, this is the first year that I've not had another job for an entire me year. Too. I quit my carpentry no job in, in last August. And I always maintained them like... With the band as a priority, you know, mm-hmm. I may like wash dishes or I was lucky enough to always find really cool construction crews that 
we just wanted a guy that could only work three days a week or we're willing to put up with a guy that could only work mm-hmm. three days a week, you know? That that was the biggest goal. So now we're like, what do we do now? You know, we had the goals. <clears throat> I feel like our band is in that state right now. So you have your, like you said, your budding singer-songwriter or your or your, or your starting band. And, you know, what are your first three goals? And we're like, we want to release a couple albums. We want to start making money off of streams and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's nice to... Just, you know, look down on my phone and every two weeks Spotify sends us a nice chunk of change. You didn't really have to get up and do anything at all. Sure. <laughs> after you made the record. And then, you know, we wanted to play all the all the cool festivals. Which you like this year. Deal? Yeah, this year we like knocked out like half of my bucket list, if not more. Which so, which ones were those? Uh Floyd Fest, uh, mm-hmm. you know what we did that last year. Sweetwater four twenty. We're playing oh, yeah. Swanee here next week, Swanee Halloween. I've always mm-hmm. wanted to be at That's a really fun one. Yeah, and they're saying that's like the best lineup of the year, all the agents are saying. I mean, you know, they got us on there and we're not exactly anywhere near the bottom of the poster either. And now a quick interlude about one of the companies supporting this podcast. Ed, I think we can both agree that the best tasting songs are those that happen naturally. That's true. Wait, you can't really taste a song, though. That part's not... That's also true of the food we choose to consume, which is why our favorite new artist on the healthy protein charts is ButcherBox. 100% grass-fed beef delivered on dry ice to your door anywhere in the lower 48. So, does that make Alaska like the upper... Ed, just open the box. If you're into more genres than just beef, ButcherBox has you covered. They also deliver Alaskan wild sockeye salmon, free-range organic chicken... Wow, there's got to be like 11 pounds of meat in here. Heritage breed pork and special bacon. Special bacon? Special, because it's free. Use code SONGDIVERS at checkout to get $20 off and free bacon in your first butcher box. And shipping's free too. Special bacon and special shipping. That's special. Now, can you grill as well as you can play guitar? Visit ButcherBox.com to order. Guy, what about you? What's your songwriting standpoint? Are you telling stories? Are you are you working through stuff? So many of the songwriters we've had on. Man, I'm you. I'm always working through something. It's usually always. So I'm this kind of guy. I sit down and write the damn song right there. You, you like I was talking about how mm-hmm. it's a glove fit. If, if um, sorry, not to bring up OJ's trial. Well, I think it's that's relevant. <laughs> You know, deep down, all us songwriters were just thinking about OJ and how he got away with it. <laughs> but now, now, uh, yeah, it's got to mean something. It's got to be instantaneous. Those are the ones I bring to the band. I'm like, oh, this is this is good because it just kind of poured right out of me, and I didn't have to. I might go back and change something here and there, maybe a word or. Say, uh, you know, I can't say that in a song, or my ex is gonna fucking hate me. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that, or something. Other than that, it's like I don't hold back or anything, and just try and try try and write what I'm feeling. It it can start with music sometimes, and it can start with words as well. Well, you mentioned "Hold My Name" is Josh wrote that one. Mm -hmm. What about Josh? Do you know much about his process? I do to an extent. I th- I think he's I think he's a both way kind of guy. I think he's usually. Um, I think hold my name, and I might be wrong. Start started with words, 
And then he had an idea for a progression. Ah, but I do remember for a fact at that rehearsal, he was, you know, kind of like how I do it. I remember we were like, all right, we, what goes here? The second verse goes here. Okay. I don't have a second verse. And he was like, all right, stop. Hey, everyone stop. We took a break. I smoked a cigarette. He wrote a second verse. Went back to work. It's like that. So, I, you know, I think his process, I think he doesn't really bring a finished piece as much as, like, my brother would. You know, it's, like, 70%. And are you guys all writing on guitar or piano? Yeah. 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 Yep. There's the instruments that carry the melody, mostly. Right. And that you can sing and play, and that's fine. Exactly. If you're at an open <clears throat> mic on bass and singing. You know, <laughs> kind of weird, a little bit. Sure, I've started a song. Uh, I've started a song we play on bass before. Well, and you guys have the type of music where I think that actually could be the case. Yeah, that groovy, funky stuff, like individuals That's off this time. last album. I was going to ask you. you about that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I wrote that one, and it's just the bass line is the same. Boom, dump, boom, dump, boom, and I just like kind of felt that uh, groove. And so it started on bass. Yeah, more or less. Started with me yeah. playing uh, three notes on a bass guitar. See, now it's funny, that one I hear, you might not get this, and most people might not, but when I first heard that, I, I thought of The Temptations. It kind of reminded yeah. me of, like, Ball, well, I grew of, up with that Ball of Confusion, or yeah. mm-hmm. Papa Was a Rolling yeah, Stone. Exactly. It's kind of like the yeah. way the story starts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That sounds almost like you're writing about characters, but you're that injecting one, some that of That one own. actually is. That, yeah. that one is, yeah, it's people I know, though. They're not, like, fictional. Uh the first verse was about my um, late uncle, Seth, <clears throat> Seth Rowe. And he, at the time, he's a very intellectual person and uh, very, very smart person. But at the time, he was working in the factory and mm-hmm. was fucking miserable. And right. he, he was doing up to 60 hours a week in a cereal factory. We lived in Asheboro, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, he's making Lucky Charms and he's... And he's miserable, and he's That's also crazy. working through a temp agency, which is like slavery. Modern day slavery. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that you're only making nine bucks, and they're taking two, and the government's taking three, and you're left with what, four bucks an hour? I'm not that good at math, Kyle. Yeah, I don't know what it means. It sounds bad. That's what that's what it started with. That song. I I was feeling for him, and he was always griping to me about it. Now, you know, I hope you don't find me working overtime in the factory. It was just kind of what I was feeling. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, and then the next verse. It's a new character. It's a new character. Right. You know. Here works a dependable individual becoming blind and weak. Just trying to make ends meet. The twilight claustrophobia, the time card's got a hold of ya. You're caught up in the game, and it's such a shame. I hope you don't find me working overtime in the factory. I'm 
the question earlier was like we're, we're making a living you know and yeah. i think people forget about that and actually one of our previous guests talked about that too that you know he went to take care of his taxes and then with him and his wife were both musicians they went to their account and he's like oh you, you guys famous and he's like what would you ask that of a mechanic like no we're yeah. musicians like, we're making a living you know um but i wonder how much of that is like having people in your life that have been in a situation where like gosh i if I had to go work at a factory, like, oh my God. So does that keep you guys inspired to just be out making the grind and like really grateful for the situation you're in? Yeah, we uh frequently reminded of other jobs I've hated way more than this one. And I <laughs> anytime I get uh down on myself about it or like down in the dumps about what we're doing, where I'm just you know, everyone can be moody. Yeah. Sometimes I'm not having a, the greatest time. Sure. I'm thinking Fair like, so well, you know, at least I'm not washing dishes back at the Blackbird Kitchen because that sucked. Or like at least <laughs> this isn't that job that I had where I went for – I worked for North Carolina PERG. It's Public Interest Research Group. I went around and knocked on people's doors and like canvassed and asked them questions about what they felt about brands or like tried to get them to donate money to PERG and stuff. And that was a horrible job. People hated you. Did you get a lot of doors slammed in your face? Yeah, quite a few doors slammed. I had people like a dude took my clipboard, drew a big cock on it, and handed it back to me. Like, oh, just like thanks a lot. Oh, canvassing. Hey, I can't. I canvas too. Terrible. This was the era we were all living in the same house. Like even him and his fiance. 
Uh, And we were eating what we call Poverty Mac. Mm -hmm. Are you guys familiar? I am. I was in college. Yeah, I remember how that goes. Are are you going... Were you going... uh, We put tuna fish and mac and cheese. Store brand mac and cheese (laughs) with a can of tuna in there? I don't know if I ever mixed the two. If you want to, but I'm familiar with that cuisine. Yes. You want to get you want to get crazy? You throw some peas in there. Hey man, when this 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 wraps up, tuna casserole, <laughs> poverty <laughs> mac. Let's go. Let's do it. That does sound delicious. So Ian, hold on. I just heard a drop of fiance in there. So are, you're maintaining a relationship on the road. I am. He is. I am um, super super lucky. <laughs> he is that. I mean, like. Chloe, my fiance, uh-huh. has Chloe. a similar origin story to us in that she was born elsewhere. She was born in Naples, Florida, okay. and her parents relocated her to Black Mountain around the same age that we all moved in. To, like, they were dating in like middle school. Right. I've okay. known her forever. She uh, was like best friends with the girl that was right down the street from my house, and we always hung out together since we were kids. And uh, we didn't like date in high school. We dated a little bit in middle school, but that's not even a thing. Right, you know? yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, Still it counts. Smooched, we yeah. gave you held hands? Yeah, we held hands a couple yeah. of times. You're holding and, hands uh, We talked on the phone, like, a lot. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then uh, we, like, didn't do anything during high school. But then afterwards, we kind of found each other again. And I'm super lucky in that she's friends with everyone that's been in my band and has been for as long as I have. Kyle has known She's a lifetime friend. She's a lifetime So she's always been understanding that, like, we have to do this or it'd be like, like, I have to go out and do this because I can't let Kyle down. I can't let Eric and Josh down because, like, this is something that we built together and, like, sure, it would be easier for us. She uh, is willing to make these sacrifices and she's always been a contributor to the Travers Brothership, not musically, but she does a lot of our artwork and like promotional work oh, and cool. stuff. And even like before we had a van, she would be like the one that's like, "Hey, you guys can borrow my car to get all your amps to the gig or whatever." And Chloe would come on the road with us a lot. Chloe's so, a keeper for sure. So the the 2018 record, "Let the World Decide." Yep. I like the earlier records, but to me, I hear a progression, a definite progression on the new record. Certainly. And it sounds more ambitious to me. Yeah. So was that like a conscious choice or uh, talk a little bit about when you went to make this record? I think so. What do you think? I I, I think, I think we, um, we kind of decided that we had formed a fan base Mm -hmm. and thus could make some music that we felt is right. And they were still going to buy it, you Mm -hmm. know, and like it, you know, which, you know, is kind of a part of the industry. Sometimes you're going out on a limb. But I feel like we felt like we could be more ambitious with it and try more new things and do things that, you know, if you're to de- if you are to define Travers Brothership mm-hmm. with a list of words, we got outside that box. You know, we even right. had like a more Americana style song on there. Sweet Annalie that my brother wrote, which is one of my favorite songs that we've ever. It's you know, yeah, it's wrote. a really diverse record for sure. Right. Yeah. And then you got like the reggae touch of Duke and Fide, one of my tunes and like some of Josh's stuff is more. um advanced jazz progressions i was yeah. gonna say like jaded the leadoff track is that right. kind of a josh that is josh. That's a josh, That's song. A josh song. and it sounds like i don't know if you guys listen to a lot of jazz but i hear a little bit more jazz in some of the the chord progressions. i think he was in an, and yeah i can 100 percent say he was jazz. in a massive jazz phase there he learned all this like all the standards and was learning all jazz when he wrote all that stuff Never happens all at once, it seems. We 
definitely an ambitious record overall. We we've been told that we have to go in one direction or we are sure to fail. See, so I, you, I you, almost, you chuck that advice. Yeah. And just, yeah, I wanted to do it like I feel like there's two distinct sides of, of that record, and I wanted to split it into like there's the jazz prog side and the uh, more like country Americana southern rock side, and mm-hmm. I wanted it to be almost like an A and B, but we, that's not what we eventually did. We mm-hmm. we kind of layered them or more alternated them than right. that, so there's not a distinct side of the other. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's a two faced record for sure. Well, I think uh, that's a really important thing that you mentioned. It's similar to like when you, I don't know if you guys are aware of this phenomenon, but like if you had a twelve inch sandwich, it's harder to eat that than two different six inch sandwiches. And <laughs> certainly, I think, I think musically it's the same thing. Like I, well, that's one of my favorite things when a record changes and evolves. And I think with your guys' record, there's so many different flavors going on. It's so, but it, but it all sounds like it's part of the same record. You know, right? Like that's the ultimate you know? goal. And that's, that's a really tough thing to do when you are switching up the flavor so much. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Well, the the Beatles pulled that off, and I kind of that's where I kind of found that ambition. It's like yeah, if you, if you listen to Abbey Road, it's just like. There's soul music, and then there's like goofy ass, you know, octopus's garden. Totally. And then there's George like weeping with yeah. some with something. It would you know? basically have a bunch of different meals, but they do all still sound like they're on the same menu. Yeah. Oh yeah. That yeah. record to me, I just can't imagine any other track listing even for Abbey Road. Oh, it's- uh, have you ever tried to think about that? I don't know if you guys are Beatles fans. I have never. Oh seen yeah, that huge. Much yeah. So massive, <laughs> massive Beatles fan. Yeah. Could you imagine um, another track being before or after another track? No. Well, I'm going to ask you. Have you listened to the like the Giles Martin remix? Yeah, love. version of it. It's really oh, yeah. great, right? Or, or Abbey Road. Yeah. No, it, I have not. It just came out like wow. yeah, I a couple heard it, weeks it came ago. Out, they featured this? it on uh, WNCW. Yeah, because they did on the radio. How did uh, I miss this? What did they do? Before? They did Sergeant Pepper before that. I've, well, they've I've, done oh, Sergeant Pepper is the one that I heard. They've that. done that and the White album, and now they've done Abbey Road. Wow. So I mean, what, did they some, switch up the track listing? Well, no, but they did include like in the ex, in the extras. Oh, there, yeah. There's the original edit. Let's make some more money off the Beatles. And <laughs> well, but it's it. also really good. But the original, yeah, yeah. the original, it's also George Martin's son Giles. Yeah. The original medley, though, they had Her Majesty like in between Mean Mr. Mustard and right. Paul Athene Pam. Mm-hmm. So that just sounds wrong. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, no, it's yeah, supposed it's to end with weird. it, yeah, yeah, being cut off there. Exactly. So you do hear that. That yeah. is a a minor little change, but it's still just. I, I just it just think, highlights to you that they got it perfect the, the right, first time. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. They, they tried it a different way, and it just doesn't work. Right. It's like, I think they were also kind of like us in that they would like they fought about it, you know. Like mm-hmm. for sure, we yeah. will fight about it even sometimes. Like, yeah, there's something to be said for peace, but there's also something to be said for art. And when it comes to art, f- all that you know, let's be nice to each other. Sometimes it's like I'm going to tell you how I feel, and if you aren't telling me how you feel, we're being dishonest to each other. And if I'm going to cater to your needs for you to be happy, how are we going to ever make good art unless we can just have good communication and sometimes you're going to piss each other off and sometimes you're going to hear something you don't want to hear but if you don't do that the art will never reach the level it could that's probably an aspect of the record you're talking about um how it sounds like a little more mature 
mm-hmm. or that it's like it's developed it's it's come a long way from the one that happened before it exactly one thing is that we you know we got better as musicians definitely in like we're honing our skills but also the in the uh the system and the collaboration has improved and we've gotten a little more used to that i think and, part uh, i'm you can disagree or agree with me, but I think part of it is a testament to the fact that you've been a band. The same four guys have been together since middle school. Yeah. Like certainly is you feel strong enough to kind of just hash anything out together. Oh yeah. Kind of. Right. Yeah. You're willing anything. to tell someone like, no, 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 move that pointer finger. Just move it over there. Like you can really nitpick each other in a way that you wouldn't do with a stranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no way. Never when you meet someone that's a musician are you gonna try and tell him how to play, you know? But uh, is there anything have... on the album that he fought for that you disagreed with that now you kind oh, of think? Man, there's tons of stuff like that. I'm sure, mm-hmm. we've kind of forgotten. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Ian and I, Ian and I, usually have a pretty similar vision compared to. Yeah, my brother and do I. Do you have brother different. fights? I was just gonna ask. Yeah, I mean, our vision's always vastly different. <laughs> but do you guys just have knockdown dragouts? Or are you pretty amicable? No, we kind of got out of that occasionally. You got through the Oasis phase? Yeah, man. Occasionally it'll get physical, but not really. <laughs> like, uh, I'm reminded of, like, we, Eric and I spent a day at the studio together. We were supposed to go in there and overdub percussion for the first half of the day, and Kyle was going to show up in the second half of the day and overdub, um, I think it was, car. like, guitar solos or something. Mm-hmm. And he got there at noon, and we were like, he's like, so you guys are about done, right? And I'm like, no. We we really just got started. We got there we're, at like 3 We're putting o'clock. shaker and tambourine and blocks and cowbells on every single track like, everywhere. Guys, this costs like 50 like, bucks an hour, and you're like over here like dink-dinking on a cowbell. And then, but like sometimes and then you listen back to it, and you're like, cut it. it. Cut. That right. sounds we terrible. We wasted a lot of time for sure doing stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> You know oh, what? Though? We need timbales right here. No, stop everything. But sometimes up. you have to go fully around the sun to get back. To well, it's the be. Prince method, <laughs> yeah. man. We should have never learned about oh, the Prince method. That's Uh-oh. Matt Williams is the one who taught us about Damn the it, Prince Matt. method. He no. coined the term, as he, far as I know. Share, <laughs> share with us the Prince method. The Prince method is all right. So they say, take like, us to church. Yeah, they say Prince, like one of the ma- one of the ways he made, and he was a you know multi instrumentalist. Very, you know, everyone knows, extremely talented person. And he would try everything that came to his head. And then he would take it to the cutting room floor. Kind of like how people direct movies sometimes. Now they would try, you know, they'll try the scene from this angle, that angle, this angle, that angle. It's the exact same way Prince will do it. So, you know, I'm going to try the guitar solo here. I'm going to try this instrumentation with this going on and more synthesizers over here or... With the drums out over here, and try, and then try multiple instruments too. I'm gonna sing over here. I'm gonna play guitar. I'm gonna play guitar over the whole thing, mm-hmm. the whole thing twenty times in a row, and then listen back and go, eh, mute the guitar. Yeah, what we, you need a massive recording budget. We really <laughs> that, that, that could be a whole day. You know, that could be like five hundred bucks. You well, I don't know Max, but like maybe that. that could be one reason he talked you into the Prince method. Oh yeah, he's <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Matt's like, you know, I see. Uh, no, he wasn't talking us into it as much as I think he was just kind of. He realized my me and my brother's dynamic, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Listen, both you guys get out every." idea you have yeah, he was mediating and, in a way. and then right. we'll pick what we think is right mm-hmm. and that's what we did so he would try every cowbell and block in the studio and i would 
play the Hammond organ and play the Wurlitzer cool, and play the guitar. And then we'd say, get rid of that, get rid of that, get rid of that. Oh, that's great. Keep that. Get rid of that, get rid of that. Oh, that's good. Keep that. And then you got a good record. Yeah. You play the Hammond through every single song, even though you knew it wasn't even going to be a part of it. Yeah, we both play keys, so we played, yeah. like We, we would each we take a whack day. at it. We would do stuff like that. We're like, okay, uh, Kyle, there, you there go in there and try. on that album And then that we'll switch. Up. And I'll try both it. Both of you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> so so, so we're, we both, it'd be, you know, and it's just overdub day. So you're having sure. fun anyways. Yeah. You're like, yeah, let's go in here and just like wing it. So you just, he would have some bright plans out. I won't, I'll admit, I'm often unprepared because I'm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm the guy who's <laughs> prepared at I, I'm home. I'm an ear I've player, so I'm just like, checking this. You know, I'm an emotional <laughs> player. I'm like, I got to play what I'm feeling in the moment, you uh-huh. know? So I'm like in the studio, I put the headphones, and some magic can happen like that. Absolutely. Matt would get really excited and be like, yeah, that's it, that's it. And I'm like, you know, did you plan that? No, it was the first time I played it in my life. But, <laughs> but, you, you know, and like, I'll never play it again. <laughs> I, exactly. Thank what God, happened? Thank God you're recording that, yeah. But yeah, there's moments to where we'll have a song, and Ian will be playing the Hammond part on the bridge, and I'll be playing the Hammond part on the third verse or something, you know? It's kind of... Just kind of, kind of appearance an, method, man. Just, sure, it's the unfair advantage of uh, digital recording well, too. But with yeah, really, yeah, just, just me the, and Ian when it comes to the key stuff. But Josh also, the mama don't he did piano on. Oh, I was going to ask about that one, mm-hmm. and then you guys just decided that's just piano and vocals. Yeah, like, I mean, he like right? he. There was a time when he was like, Ian, you got to learn how to play this. But he was, yeah, I, I, he that, was like, no, I I really just love the way I play it, you know. Yeah. I, and I could never. He wanted to teach you because he wanted it to be like a full band song. Yeah, something that we played live. So mm-hmm. yeah, so he was going to play the bass and he was going to play the keys and mm-hmm. stuff. But you know, talking about like that producer role, I was like, no, this can help break up the record, and it should just be like you and the piano, man. And you should. You, well, at first he was doubting himself, as I remember too. Though, straight up, he was like, "Ian's like a better piano player than I am," which he is because he plays the piano every night. And I was like, so what? Go home and play the piano. Josh is the one who wrote that song, and he knows how the the piano is supposed to sound on that song. And sometimes when you hear the songwriter (laughs) doing their own song, that's just like, yeah, that's the perfect Oh, Exactly, yeah, that's the perfect way. Exactly, that's how I felt. And like piano and the human voice. It's just Mm -hmm. like... Oh, yeah. When the pianist is singing. You know, that whole Billy Joel, Elton John, Freddie Mercury... uh, kind of thing that can happen there or Paul McCartney or whatever. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's a golden slumber. It, <clears throat> it's just kind of that you can hold a note and hold down the sustain pedal and sing a vibrato and just let it all off at the same time to where it's two guys that wouldn't quite have that. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, that yeah. was a good choice. I like it. I think oh, it is a you. nice kind of contrast. Break Josh responds really good to pressure. I remember kind of being like, <laughs> I was just kind of like, you're, you're out of the band if you don't get this. You, oh, no, no. It was like, we only did like two takes. It was like, what, you're not good enough? Like, you're not good enough to play piano on that? And he was like... Get Chloe yeah. in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he came to the studio like super prepared. He took like three takes. Yeah, like three. Just crushed it. The first one, he was like, got halfway through and was like, ah, just let me restart. And then yeah, he played two all the way through. Two complete takes of it. Yeah, and it was just... Boom. But that's Josh, man. Like I said, the guy that didn't make it into music school can <laughs> record something in two takes live, singing it and playing it, and just walk out of the studio and say, Bye. You Damn guys well. enjoy the work.
talk a little bit about what you guys are doing now what you guys are doing next so you guys are on the road right now right just awesome um you guys just came through you played tampa uh which we appreciate thanks for coming to our market um what's uh what's some of the stuff you guys are looking forward to coming up we're uh working on making a live album yep in the we've got like uh markets that we hit really well like in our region we have a couple gigs lined up that we're sure are going to draw really well. And we've gone and hired our favorite engineer in the world to come and record us multi-track it while we do it live. Nice. Should we give that engineer a shout out? Yeah. His name is Matt Williams. Matt Williams. And he's the best. Up? I'd recommend him to anybody in the world. He's a wizard of with Pro he's Tools. He's a wizard. He's and... the kind of guy that wears dents in his keyboard on his Mac. Where, like, where is he? He based? never has to touch the mouse. He's got you know, the he repl- He goes through a keyboard a year. <laughs> I bet. He does so much work. <laughs> He's in uh, Asheville, okay. technically uh, Weaverville, uh-huh. but you know, still same. He's area. got this place called the Eagle Room where we've done both those records. I was going to ask. Yeah. So you mentioned you guys are doing a live record, but so like you're going to record a live show, right? Yeah, because the records, we're going to record for are, are are clearly like they're produced records, but there's a really nice live right. They're done live in a room, like the four of us did the stems all together you in a live type setting yeah. for sure. Yeah, and there's a lot of like interesting breaks and tempo changes in your songs, so I don't and imagine the, yeah, a lot of click tracks. There's going absolutely on. no like, click yeah. tracks. We don't yeah. know how to do that. No click tracks. <laughs> <laughs> we, I cannot play. I just never played music with. God. In my ear, like Josh can do it because he was in drum corps and they do that to you. Yeah, but mm-hmm. my poor Josh. <laughs> yeah, I I uh, do well, play there's... to a click track often times at home and stuff. I use 
GarageBand. I love that app. Yeah. And it's really fun. I got it on the iPad, and I have a little tiny keyboard that tours around in the van with us. And uh, I'm oftentimes listening to click tracks in the headphones and not uh, programming drums. So that's, that's an important like thing. How, so how many how many dates are you guys on the road right now? Uh, this year mm-hmm. we're going to do like 150 plus counting the Europe tour. But on the road, that that's 150 dates-ish. Yeah. But on the road, I think it's going to be over 200. So um, what's interesting is so before the boys were here hanging with us, you guys were at a rehearsal. You guys found time to practice. So I think yeah. it's interesting. How much are you guys practicing on the road? Uh, when we have to, we, it's just, when you tour this much, you have to, you have to, or you're not going to be able to do anything. Well, you won't be able to, you won't be able to produce new stuff. Especially Mm -hmm. if you're trying to learn Zappa. Yeah. Yeah, And Primus. Yeah. Yeah. We'll run stuff at sound checks. Mm. Like once we've got a solid level of everything, we have a few minutes before the doors open, we will run through stuff that's already kind of previously been rehearsed. Mm -hmm. We're just like making sure everyone's still fresh on it. But um, we were fortunate enough to have real good friends here in Tampa that offered up their house right. to let us just obliterate. Yeah, that's one thing <laughs> we've been cool. very fortunate in. Um, one thing I would say is make sure you develop every single relationship you can with the people that love your music, because that has helped us more than anything. You know, we couldn't we couldn't even done it in the beginning unless we always had a floor or a couch or a bed to sleep in you think this well, is part of the jam uh band kind of culture? absolutely they I respect do. that grind they want to see you out there on the road they want it yeah they, they know want fish, you to be poor fish, and not have i mean let's be honest to go to a hotel room they want you to come home and fish on their couch fish right. isn't gonna live they're not immortal you know all those people are gonna have to find something to do uh-huh. and same with deadheads you know when fish uh die off it might be widespread panic Oh. <laughs> oh god for the jam band fans out there i'm oh. sorry and you're for right those of you that aren't no hold on but they're younger than widespread they are absolutely so yeah, widespread's gonna be dead when widespread before. dies off it's gonna be fish head <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i feel like they want to to see uh see, you know some younger guys that See it in that old school kind of light because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on. If I'm not holding anything back, that's um, I call it hippie disco. Okay, and uh, you know we're not that, mm-hmm. and that's all I'll say about that. Well, I think that's all I'm <laughs> you're not going to name names. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think no, uh, I think it's names. important too. You know, you mentioned like developing relationships of you know people that don't want to see you guys go back to hotel because they care about your music and how important that is from just like the logistics of things and economy of things but also like having people like your music (laughs) is really really important you know like that that inspiration it's the there's the logistics and the economy of all of it like i just mentioned of being able to go out and actually do it and pay for it and have it actually exist and make a living but like the will to want to do it like those gigs that are thankless it's those couple of people that are there that really connect with what you're doing. Like to me, that is so, so important at any stage. Oh man, most definitely. We still will end up booked in the wrong town on a Monday night and there will be 10 people there. Mm -hmm. And if there's five of them that are enamored and absolutely fascinated with what we're doing, that's enough for me. We can have a really great time with five oh, people. Oh, yeah. That's a complete success in my eyes. It's a, a practice with an audience almost, you know? 
Yeah, not uh, really. To be honest, we have we have a rule. There's no, there's none of that. We oh, don't, good. Yeah, we don't practice on the stage. It's got to be tight. Yeah, that, that's the thing about the. We differ in the jam world. It's kind of like the how the Almond Brothers fit into the jam. I'm a massive Almond Brothers fan. I can hear it. And they they fit in. You will never hear the Almond Brothers sound as loose as the Grateful Dead do on a bad night. The Almond Brothers, you can go and listen to their all their stuff, <laughs> and they don't have quite a bad night like you. And this is admitted, and all Deadheads know this. I'm a Deadhead, and they know that there's a certain night that the band just did not click and shit was not happening. Oh no! But I, luckily, they're luckily but... they're going to Baltimore the next night, and they might click. But with the Almond Brothers, it's kind of they, they demand perfection of each other. And we kind of do that too, so there's no way we could ever find time to rehearse on the stage. We might have time to improvise or try something that isn't exactly perfect, right? But it's it's likely informed improvisation. Is you're not you're not completely going out on a limb. We're you not going on a limb. We're not going to try something we're not comfortable with because you, know? you expect someone to give you a bad look if it does. Sound Don't bad. get me wrong. We'll still, you know, play some have a night to where one of the tunes isn't quite ready and probably shouldn't have been performed. Mm-hmm. But we're not practicing it. We're playing it for uh, to the best of our ability. So I want to ask you guys a couple of questions that we we asked a lot of guests to. So favorite gig each year, favorite favorite thing you guys have done this year, any any year. You'd be uh, surprised. I couldn't hear. I could. Could even be the talent now. show. <laughs> it could even uh, be the uh, Saturday night Floyd Fest was a really great one. Yeah, so got to oh, go this down year. One of my all time favorites. Ever. And it was just perfect. What was special about it? Well, I love that stage. Awesome, beautiful stage. Is the, what's the name of it? It's uh, it's called Hill Holler. Hill Holler. <laughs> Hill Holler, it's, like, it's a natural amphitheater in that the hill um, is formed all around the stage. The stage is at the bottom of this yeah, semi A grassy hill. red rocks on a smaller level. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it really gets filled up with people, it was the right time of night to where it was really filled up with people and there wasn't a bu- any headliners going on right uh-huh. then. We still had, We were like yeah. the thing to do and come see. So there was... We had like 8,000 people there and it was just like a... It was a very tight set. It was a, I feel like this band always performs well under pressure. And it was like, holy shit, we're a festival headliner now. And we're not, you know, for some festivals. But for one of that size, you know, they had String Cheese Incident and Lucas Nelson mm-hmm. and Grammy winners. Uh, Casey Musgraves was there and Brandy Carlisle. Oh, God. Jason Isbell was there the, as a headliner the year before. Uh, yeah, and just how, how tight everyone played, under pressure. Holy shit, we're going in between. I think String Cheese Incident played on the... Other main, there's two main stages, mm-hmm. and then it was Travers Brothership, and then no, I think it was, it was like Leftover Brandy. Salmon, then Travers Brothership, then that's it. Cheese. Leftover that's how it went. Brothership Cheese, yeah, that's quite a sandwich to be in. Right, yeah. Yeah. they're like two of the most like uh, successful and you know right um, great acts, long term great acts going on live in the live music industry, right? Especially you know the live part of it. So yeah, the pressure was on, and we. Laid it, man. It was just one of those where we're looking at each other, and they, you know, there's eight thousand people, and it's like it kind of takes me back to being in that garage, and I'm starting to curse more as the podcast goes on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm getting comfortable with you two, but yeah, yeah, man, it, it it takes me back to being in that garage and being, you know, fifteen again, and all of us hanging out 
after rehearsing a few tunes and saying, you know, maybe one day we'll get paid thousands of dollars to <laughs> do this in front of like thousands of people. Wouldn't Hell that, yeah, would not, would not be the day. And then, you know, I kind of think about that sometimes when I'm on the stage. It's so it. important. Yeah. It's just like, holy shit, here I am where I wanted to be. And, and then you're like, Ian, you remember when I said that? I do say that to Ian quite often. Definitely. <laughs> it's like, Told you, bro. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. I've always been the skeptic. I've always been the one. He's like, like guys, we're jumping off a cliff here. Yeah, like I'm holding on to that shit. Exactly. I'm learning to be a good carpenter. <laughs> what are the venues like at home? Like, what what's uh, what do you do in Asheville when you're back? Asheville's supposed to be. Amazing. We're playing the Asheville Music Hall when we get right as soon as we get back. From Is that Halloween. where the live uh, album's going to be cut? That's where so, the uh, first of the uh, two dates. Yeah, the first. Of we're two playing. Dates. We're playing four nights. And, okay. Yeah. And then you guys have the Orange Peel there too, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've played the Orange Peel. Uh, we we're in the music hall a lot more than the Orange Peel now. Asheville's a tough town because there's so many music lovers, mm-hmm. and thus there's so much music going on. Yeah, saturation. Yeah, you have, and it, you know, it's only so big. It's not exactly like New York or something. Right. I was so say, if yeah. you have someone in the Civic Center or in you know, Thomas Wolf, which is like our two, three thousand cap theater or whatever it is. That you know, it's just an immense amount of immense amount of competition. You we know? also have Pisgah Brewing Company, which is in Black Mountain, which is our suburb of Asheville. That's it's my like favorite. ten minutes away. Mm-hmm. And they have a great outdoor stage and it's probably one of the best venues in the whole of the county. So of the war of the world that I've Maybe seen. Maybe of the world. In my opinion. <laughs> I'm biased because I grew up there. Sure. But it's you know, it's like a natural timber stage, mm-hmm. and it's only like a, I don't know, maybe around 2,500 cap outdoor space, so you still have that intimate, you know, I can walk over here and get a beer, and I'm standing in a crowd, and I'm not, I, you don't have to look at a, you know, a television to see who's playing either, you know? Yeah. And it's just cool like that, and it's and it's right nestled in the mountains, a beautiful landscape with beautiful people, so. it's That is... um. That's, that's your Red Rocks. That is right that that that's is my Red Rocks. that's Absolutely. my favorite music venue. Um, that's cool. And on the East Coast. Well, fellas, we appreciate you doing this with us. Thanks for thanks for making it down to our neck of the woods. Thank you guys for having us, man. Yeah, you guys, yeah. you guys need to come down to the Halloween party. We might do that, man. Come on, or we're making up to Asheville. We'll look you guys up. Yeah, do yeah. that. Do that. Hit us up. You got my number. Once you uh, finish that live album, come back and see us, man. We'd love to have you back anytime. Ah, uh, you don't want us back in your house, man. No, you're going to sleep in the backyard. Welcome <laughs> back in the neighborhood. You know, we need a floor. You know, that's what we were talking about. <laughs> Screw the Four Seasons. Oh, we've put, up, uh, we've put like, up guests before. I like it here. You guys have beer in the fridge and, you know, good company and an awesome dog. Thank you. Thank you for all this. <laughs> and you're welcome also. Yes. Well, uh, Ian, Kyle, thank you. Come back thank and see yeah, us thanks, again guys. soon, fellas. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah thank you guys yeah. for having us. Much love. All right, boys.
You've been listening to Song Divers. Thank you for supporting us and our sponsors and all the great independent music makers out there trying to make their way in the music business these days. Songs we heard in this episode were Individuals, Jaded, Mama Don't, and Brighter Than One, all from Travers Brothership's latest album, Let the World Decide. We also heard Hold My Name from their album, A Way to Survive. Go groove with the Travers Brothers and hear their new record on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get your music. And keep tabs on the boys by following their social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those things. They are at Traverse Brothership, and you can find them at traversebrothership.com. Traverse is T-R-A-V-E-R-S, and Brothership is, well, the traditional spelling of Brothership. I'm going to take a dog barf timeout. Excuse yeah, me. yeah. For those oh, of he, you at home, he, the dog uh, just barfed <laughs> on the photographer's camera strap. <laughs> <laughs> we got a good thing going here tonight. Everyone's partying too hard. Song Divers is a production of Ybor City Records and recorded in the historic Kenwood district of St. Petersburg, Florida.